0: Good afternoon, Rob Port, 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. Happy to be with you, Nathiela. How are you feel on this Thursday? Oh, pretty good. We
1: had funeral food day today. Well, did somebody die? No, We <laughs> this, <laughs> this all started a while back. Uh, Johnson and I had a discussion on the morning show about funeral potatoes. And we decided that we wanted to have a day where... We brought in a bunch of different funeral food into the radio newsroom, and the radio crew oh. all ate funeral food for lunch, which also coincidentally happened to be sort of my going-away party.
0: You, uh, you are a morbid group of people, I'll tell you that right It's okay, now.
1: I brought a funfetti cake.
0: <laughs> all
1: right. It was tough, substantially tough. less morbid that way.
0: <laughs> Sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, let's get down to business here. Coming up on the show, uh, yesterday, Governor Doug Burgum gave his budget guidelines for the state of North Dakota. Uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit in the first hour here. Um, state Representative Tom Beadle, Republican from Fargo, is going to be on to talk a little bit about that. Also, the governor himself may join us uh, at the end of the next hour. Uh, we're still we're still negotiating that until we're still working on it. Uh, the governor's on on the move, and um, we're, we're trying to fit the interview in between two other things, and we'll see if it works out. But, but Governor Berger may be joining us as well a little bit later in the program. So we're going to talk about that, plus your phone call, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com. Now, Governor Brigham, yesterday, like I said, introduced. Well, you know what, before we get to all that, before we get to all that, there was something we talked about a little bit yesterday, touched on it a little bit yesterday, this Starbucks thing, right, with the, and we've got the national protest uh, coming up next month, Starbucks is going to be shutting down all, what is it? Eight, it's like 8,000 stores in the United States. I think that's the number. Is that the number?
1: I believe that's right. That's what you said yesterday.
0: 8,000 stores, 175,000 employees. 175,000, wow. Anyway, um, they're shutting down all their stores for for training. Uh, and it's all a response. There were There were two gentlemen... Uh, African American gentleman uh, in Philadelphia, one of the Philadelphia stores, who it came in. They asked to use the bathroom. In case you've been living in a rock and haven't heard this story, they came in. They asked to use the bathroom. Store said no bathrooms for customers only. Uh, they then sat down. Uh, ultimately, the police were called um, for trespassing. And until something you were saying, and I, I didn't. I was reading the New York Times account of this. I haven't heard <clears throat> that version of it, but apparently. Th- the idea was that, that white people were allowed to use the bathroom without having to be customers?
1: There, there have been different incidents. One that I know of specifically was that a, a white customer went into the Starbucks, needed to use the restroom, and was allowed to use the restroom before purchasing an item. A black customer came in after that white customer. Same situation, but they made the black customer purchase something prior to being allowed was to use the Was this at that bathroom. same store? I don't think it was at the same store, but it's another Starbucks-related incident.
0: Hmm. All right. But these two gentlemen, I, well, I, I don't know. I mean, first of all, I'm, I'm having a little bit of trouble with the way this has blown up. Um, just in that I don't understand exactly how we're, how we're at a point where two people refusing to leave private property is, like, like calling the police is somehow inappropriate. Uh uh, I mean, if people refuse to leave your store, whether call you're them. right or wrong to ask them, what, what, whatever our judgment is of, of the reasoning for asking them to leave,
1: I don't think that's an appropriate the police, time to call the police. I don't think calling the police was inappropriate, but the arrest was highly inappropriate. I mean, well, they, did they
0: still refuse to leave after the police got
1: there? No, they didn't even talk to the to the men or anything like that. They just arrested them. I mean, it's one thing if you call the police and the police come, come in and they're like, hey, you know, business says you got to go, you got to go. Let's take this outside here. That's, that's one thing. That's fine. But if, if they called-
0: continue to refuse to leave at that point, then I think the police got to arrest. Well, yeah. Tresp- but, but you're you, trespassing.
1: But you got you to have some sort of a conversation. I mean, you don't just go into a, a business and arrest somebody for, you know, sitting down. I don't know. They weren't being disruptive. They weren't My, being my problem disruptive.
0: My problem here is, is is we're always we're always wanting to have a conversation about racial issues. And, and I I think what we want is we want people of different races to get along with one another, right? To treat each other with respect and and to get along with one another. I think that's what we all want, right? So I don't I don't know how blowing this situation up you know, to the point where you've got the CEO of Starbucks apologizing. They're shutting down some 8,000 stores. Uh, you have 153,000 people who are now going to have to, or excuse me, 175,000 Starbucks employees across the nation who are now going to have to undergo training for an incident at one of their stores in Philadelphia that most of them, the vast majority of them, had nothing to do with. So this is my point. Now, I I don't know. I wasn't there. I didn't I didn't see what happened to these two gentlemen. I know that a lot of stores have a policy where customers can't use the restrooms unless they're customers. I I, I get that. Particularly in like busy urban areas, you don't want to be running a public bathroom, right? So bathroom for customers only. That's not that unusual a policy. I don't think it's an unfair policy. Now, are they are you know, is a store or are some stores enforcing it along racial lines? I gosh, I hope not. And if they are, shame on them. And those employees who are doing that wouldn't blame Starbucks at all for firing them. In fact, the the, the employee in this Philadelphia situation was fired. But there was a really interesting picture. I don't know if you saw this picture, Natil, but it was of local activists who had gone into this Philadelphia Starbucks store. And there's a picture one of them, the act the, one of the activists is standing across the counter with a bullhorn three feet away from a Starbucks employee who's kind of just standing there, sort of cowering. He's got his apron on. I think his name's Eric, according to his name tag in the uh in the picture. This guy's just standing there, getting screamed at. Now, this wasn't even the employee responsible for it. Right? So what you have is Apparently, a- allegedly, some, and again, I wasn't there. I don't know how this employee f- handled the situation in Philadelphia. This employee since been fired. So I don't know what that situation is. I wasn't there. If somebody was treated unfairly because of their race, then that, that's horrible. That's despicable. But I wasn't there. I didn't see it. But th- my problem is the reaction to this is 175,000 people have to undergo training for something they didn't do. Some poor Starbucks guys in a national picture getting screamed at by an activist with a bullhorn three feet away from him. This was not the employee that had anything to do with it, just standing there cowering. Now, if our goal is let's get people of different races and whatever to get along with one another, let's get to a situation where we can understand one another better and treat one another with respect, then how is this helping? How, how is this helping? That's my question for you. 701 email talk at WDAY.com. I, I got to tell you, like, I would resent having to go to racial sensitivity training for an incident that I didn't have anything to do with.
1: I can see that being being the case. At the same time, however, Starbucks as a company seems to think that there is some systematic way that they are failing as a company to provide employees with the training that they want their employees to have to provide the service that they want without any sort of bias. Yeah. And if, if a company sees that in their company and they want to make the choice to work on fixing that,
0: See, but that's the problem. I I think they're acknowledging that there's this widespread racial problem in Starbucks. Does anyone really think that's the case? That there's really a widespread at 8,000 stores, 175,000 people?
1: I don't know. That there's like a white supremacy movement? I don't live in those communities. I mean, the communities that you and I live in are predominantly white. It's real hard to have a racial issue in our communities because there isn't a whole lot of racial diversity. In the communities where they're closing these stores for the racial sensitivity training, I don't know what the communities out there look like. There's a lot see, but, more racial diversity. There probably there could be a lot of other types of problems.
0: See, but the problem is, is when we react to something like this, we start painting with a broad brush, right? What one one of what, what the and I I don't know. I want to call them activists. I'm not trying to be pejorative because I, I don't want to diminish their concerns. But what the activists say is, is they don't want they don't want to be stereotyped. They don't want to be painted with a broad brush. Well, when you force 175,000 people to go to sensitivity training over one incident in one city, how is that not painting with a broad brush? Is, it really, is it
1: really just over that one incident, though, or is it over? I, well, I, I a don't know. I mean, of it, incidents uh, that have come well, up, and this was just the final straw.
0: The final straw. This wasn't even much of a straw. I mean, I'm still struggling with the incident itself. Now, did the, did the cops arrest too quickly? I don't know. Was Starbucks, the, the, the Starbucks management or the employer, whoever was there, too quick to, to, to say, hey, get out of our store? I don't know. I wasn't there. But this seems like small potatoes. I mean, we're trying to turn this into like a like a Martin Luther King, cop-sicking dogs on protesters type situation. If, if this is the best we can do in 2018 as a, as a civil rights moment, I feel like we've come pretty far in race relations. But what do you think? 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back after this. Don't go away. Port nine seventy W AM ninety three point one FM. Talking about this Starbucks thing, and I, I just, I don't want people to be treated badly because of their their skin color. I, I, but I just, I, if if the goal is 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 racial comedy, if if the role is is people getting along and respecting one another, I don't, I don't think, I don't think what we're doing with Starbucks is is it. I don't. I, I think this is an overreaction, right? I mean, because if, if if every incident leads to these accusations of this, well, it's a systemic problem, right? And we we just lump everybody. Everybody's in part of the problem. Now we have 175,000 people going to to sensitivity training. I mean, it's like we're forcing them all to do penance for something the vast majority of them had nothing to do with. 701-293-9000, 888 email talk at WDAY.com. Dwayne emails, uh, what if the two black men were still waiting for other guests before ordering? Nathiel is right on this one. There needed to be a conversation. Maybe. And again, I wasn't there to see how the cops handled it. Um, I, I could tell you, if if the property owner wants them to leave, then they should leave. Full stop. And if they don't leave, they're, they're trespassing, which is a misdemeanor and not the biggest deal in the world, but I, I don't know. I, I, My sense is that this has gotten so hugely overblown, this is going to hurt race relations more than it helps. Brad emails, uh, Rob, this white privilege narrative has so much momentum, I worry about the next generation. It's basically fighting often unproven racism with racism. I don't, I don't know if I'll go that far, but, I, I mean, there is a point where it's just this constant grievance mongering and it's 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 almost like people are on the lookout for incidents that they can blow up and organize a protest over you know and again is is this is this really an issue right i mean if if, if a starbucks i mean is is it it is an issue i i don't know what to say i don't know what i'm even saying anymore nateel i and i think you think i'm not even making any sense
1: maybe a little but i guess that's because my opinion on this is is very very different from yours you talk about punishing these 175,000 workers. I don't think they're being punished. I don't think they're being required to make some sort of penance. They're shutting down the stores and sending these guys to sensitivity training. I would bet cold, hard American dollars that they're going to get paid for the time they put into that training, that it's no different than the video training that I have to sit through every year here at DAY for things like, you know, flop little falls are a big deal or learning to lift with my legs despite the fact that i'm in radio production and i the heaviest thing i lift is my headphones on a daily basis
0: Uh, that's
1: that's not it's not unreasonable i i think i
0: think a i think a closing down eight thousand stores for a day
1: it's a heck of a lot easier to do it that way than trying to schedule your entire employee base to go to a sensitivity. Not really. You you, oh, yes you go to every is. every
0: every branch manager, you send them and say, "Listen, you got to cycle all your p- employees through this training. Do it over the course of a couple weeks."
1: Or you just Start shut st- everything down for a day, deal you know with what? it I mean, and then move right. on. No, they shut
0: everything down for a day because I think I think I think Starbucks is trying to get the mob off their back. I think that's part of it too. You got people showing up at their stores screaming at their employees with bullhorns. This is a way to placate them.
1: Well, and maybe sometimes you've got to do a little bit of that, because there's extremists on both sides of the equation. There always are.
0: See, but that's both—that's both sideism,
1: right? That's both I mean, si- what is both sideism? Because every
0: everybody say, everybody says that all the time. Well, it's well both sides. Do. Well, that's true. But I, I think what's happening in the Starbucks thing is an overreaction. It is it is an overreaction, and one side is doing it. It is a blatant overreaction. And, and listen, these companies are scared. Right? Starbucks does not want to be in the middle of a civil rights fight. The, the right thing to do would be for Starbucks to say, listen, this was an isolated incident. The employee responsible has uh, been fired. We're going to do training for other employees at these at the branch uh, and, and we're going to handle other incidents that may or may not crop up the same way. That's a reasonable response. But that's not how things work in the age of social media mobs. Because what happens we'll, we'll organize a protest. Social media... A company like Starbucks doesn't want to be any part of that. They don't want to be racist to anybody. They want to sell you coffee and crappy uh 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 whatever pastries. That's all they want to do. Whatever your race, whatever your 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 gender, whatever your uh uh religion, whatever. They don't care. They just want to sell you stuff. They're not interested in, in being in the middle of this fight. And so this is them running scared. And I'm I'm getting tired of it. Look at what, look at what Citibank, yes, uh, last week, I wrote about this today. Congressman Kevin Kramer, uh, signed a letter asking, and I, I don't know if Kramer's right to do this or not. Um, I don't know that I like this tactic, but he signed a letter along with a number of other members of Congress, uh, asking that the government services administration cut off a $700 billion contract with Citibank to handle a, a federal, uh, I, I think, I think it's like a federal charge card program. Want to cut off that contract because of Citibank's decision to inhibit lawful gun sales. Right? Citibank says they, they're telling their retailers that use them that, that they're not going to allow them uh, to use their services if they are uh, selling guns to people under the age of 21, whatever. Lawful gun sales. But now Citibank caving to the anti gun mob. Now, this stuff is scary. And, and listen, I get why these companies don't want to take a stand because. They don't. This is not their fight. They don't really have a dog in these fights. They are not political organizations. But I'm. I'm just tired of it. I. I. I'll tell you the deal. That image of the guy with the bullhorn screaming at the Starbucks employee really resonated with me. It's why I haven't been able to get this story out of my head. I just. I looked at that and I just thought that's wrong. The guy you're screaming at had nothing to do with it. How. How is that helpful? I mean, because it's a two way street, right? If you want respect, you got to treat people with respect. How is it respectful to show up and scream at somebody who didn't have anything to do with it? How is that respectful? Look up that picture and, and tell me if, if you're not, those of you in the audience, look it up. It's out there. L- let me let me tell me if you're not seeing the same thing I am. 701 293 9000 888 970 9329. Email talk at wday.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back. We're on Port 70 WDY AM 93.1 FM. Talking about these uh, the Starbucks protests.
2: I think it's an overreaction.
0: I don't. I don't. I don't think that the people protesting, the people screaming, the people going into Starbucks and yelling at the people there, uh, most of whom had absolutely nothing to do with what happened at that Starbucks in Philadelphia. they they're not they're not promoting. They're not promoting people getting along. I, I don't. I don't think that's a movement of people that really want people to just get along. I. I, I think these are grievance mongers who are there to. To just. I, I think they're just. I, I think there's a movement in America of people who just want to be outraged about things, and they try to find things to be outraged about, and then they take things that that might be even. A little bit outrageous. I mean, if, if these men in that Starbucks were treated unequally because of their race, then yes, that is outrageous. But to blow something like that up into this national thing is ridiculous. 701-293-9000, 888 email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, let's see, get some more emails coming in about this. Uh, emailer says, I don't want my name released, but just a couple of months ago, I know a clean-cut, white, 18-year-old man from Fargo that was in Minneapolis for a Christian rock concert. He needed to use the bathroom in downtown Minneapolis really badly. There was no place to park, so the people he was with just dropped him off to run into a Starbucks and use their bathroom. He got in there, and they told him he had to buy something before he could use the restroom. Unfortunately, he left his wallet in the car. It only had a little change. He asked them for the cheapest thing on their menu, which was a boiled egg, uh, and he bought that with his change. He told them to keep the egg. He just needed the restroom. Uh, he's a clean cut white guy he was not allowed to use the bat restroom without a purchase this is not a black and white issue it, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me at all Nathil, if if starbucks had a policy which basically said you have to be a customer to use the bathroom i don't think there's anything wrong with that
1: no and and that makes sense that that's a policy the problem in the incident that that i've been talking about is that the policy was adjudicated differently to two different people of two different races.
0: Was it, though? I mean, do we know that for certain?
1: Let me let me see if I can find an actual article about it.
0: Yeah, because the thing is, I, I mean, everything I've read about the Philadelphia incident, I haven't heard that there were, like, other people who were, you know, and I was reading this in the New York Times and that, so I, I don't know. I have not seen it. Now, was there another incident at some other time where white people were allowed to use the bathroom without making a purchase, but black people were not. I mean, if that's happening, then that's objectively wrong. I'm still not sure it justifies this this national protest. I, I still don't think it justifies, you know, what what it is, the, the reaction here.
1: Okay, so I've got a Washington Post article here that I'll send you. But this this incident took place at a Starbucks in Torrance, California. Okay, uh, back so across the jan- country. Yeah, back in January. Um, th- and this video had been out for a while, um, but it's picked up some more steam now since the Philadelphia incident.
0: Okay, so now we're talking about two incidents. The one in California obviously is sounding like the one.
1: The one in California is the one that I had been talking about.
0: Okay. And again, this is according to a video. I mean, this the, yes. the, the 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 Washington Post headline is a Starbucks in California treats black m- black and white men differently according to this video. Now, I don't, I can't watch the video while I'm on air here, here, so I guess I can't comment on that. But again, okay, so that was one incident across the country months ago. Yes. And now we have this other incident in Philadelphia, which, and and again, I, I'm still not, I'm still not seeing. I don't know. It, it just seems like such a trivial thing. And and how it, it's hard to have discussions about this when we've got protesters like marching in the streets. I, I, I've said it before and I say it again. I think some of this is a product of the fact that things are pretty good in our society in 2018. Right? It's never perfect. There's still some people who fall through the cracks. But things are pretty good. And so now we're down to a point where this is what we're protesting about. This is what's got people marching in the streets. Stuff as trivial as this. 701 293 9000 888 970 Email talk at wday.com. Craig emails, uh, just think of this. Just think if this happened during when Barack was president, we would have had a coffee summit, like the stupid beer summit he had. I mean, listen, I, I, I want people to be treated equally. That's what I want. And, I, and, and businesses that discriminate uh, should be should be dealt with. You know, they should face the public's anger. But I don't know. I'm just having on what we found are two incidents on, on two sides of the country over months. I mean, does anybody really think that Starbucks has like an institutional problem with racism? Starbucks?
1: I don't think that it's Starbucks specifically, but these communities may have... An issue. and So now we're going to take
0: it out on Starbucks?
1: No, but Starbucks is a part of those communities. And it's not like like Starbucks is shutting down the Starbuckses here in Fargo-Moorhead or Minneapolis. They're not shutting down every Starbucks across the entire country. They're not? There's got to be more than 8,000 Starbucks in this country. I mean, there's like four right here in Fargo-Moorhead. There's one on like every street corner in New York City.
0: I don't I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I there I don't know. Uh, my understanding is they are shutting down 175,000 employees. They're there shutting are down
1: 13,930 Starbucks in the US. Right. So they are shutting down about uh, well, half of them. A little more than, more than a little more than half.
0: Um assuming that's the right number that's being shut down. I don't know. I don't know how they're handling it. It's I the whole thing it drives me just up up the wall. It's an overreaction. And again, this is not how we're going to get people to get along. Right? This is this is not. I mean, listen, when we're if we're rolling back the clock to the Martin Luther King days and you have Jim Crow laws and you have the Ku Klux Klan out there and you have Woolworth's not letting black people sit at their lunch counter, Then, okay, I get it. Let's have some civil disobedience. Let's have some marching in the streets. I get it. But in 2018, now it's, well, these two guys weren't allowed to use the bathroom without making a purchase. And then they sat down and didn't leave the restaurant, and the police ended up arresting them for trespass. That's the big thing? Give me a break. This breeds more resentment than it solves. And I'm, I'm tired of these companies caving to this stuff. I get why they do it. They got stockholders. Starbucks' job is to sell coffee and make money, not get in the middle of a civil rights fight. I get why they do it. I wish they'd stop. I wish they'd stop. Because what... I mean, what, what, what by saying that we're going to close down all these thousands of stores and subject all these tens of thousands of employees to this training... What we're essentially saying is that th- there was some sort of systemic racism. I mean, Starbucks is, is is essentially seeding the argument that this is a systemic problem, and I don't think that it is. I don't think that it is. I don't think they should have seeded that argument. It's a little bit silly. We're going to take a break. More to to comes straight ahead, 701-293-9000, 970 9329 Email talk at WDY.com. We'll be back after this. Don't go away.
1: Baby beside
0: me at the wheel. Welcome back, Rob Port 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. until on the Starbucks thing, we had a we had a listener clarify on the stores being closed. Uh huh. Listener email says, I think it's the corporate-owned Starbucks that are being shut down for half a day. So that's what that is. It's the corporate-owned, and I I googled it, uh, and indeed that's the case. Um, this is headline from CNBC: Starbucks to close all company-owned stores. So I, I imagine they have franchises as well. And I, I, I I suppose the franchisees, the the training thing's probably up to them. But but corporate-owned Starbucks stores are closing that, and so that's eight thousand stores. And you said there's what, like thirteen thousand plus in the country?
1: Yep, total.
0: Yeah, okay. So that, though the rest of those must be the franchisee stores. Still, I think it's a little, I think it's a little silly. Also, another listener emails, and this is interesting. She emailed, uh, "The Philadelphia Police Department has released the audio of the call for service." That resulted from this. Uh, It's about four minutes long. We don't have time to play it on on air. But I I think the interesting thing from the call is Holly. um, She's a store manager. She says, hi, I have two gentlemen in my cafe that are refusing to make a purchase or leave. Uh, At which point the dispatcher, she gives the address for the store. Uh, the dispatcher says that they'll have somebody on right away. She says, thank you, and the phone hangs up, and then I guess the audio goes I was listening to it over the break. The audio goes on, and basically the police says that they're responding to a, a disturbance call, and then they show up. Now, granted, you could argue that Holly's is just one side of the argument, uh, but on the flip side, if that's what they did, if they were refused to make a purchase or leave, why shouldn't they be arrested, Natil?
1: I don't think that Holly, the, the store manager, did anything wrong in making the call to police because the situation had obviously, in her opinion, become something that wasn't going to be resolvable for her as the store manager. Do I think that those men needed to be arrested by the police when the police showed up? Not really.
0: Let's, well, first of all, let's be clear that what they're arrested for is a misdemeanor. Yeah, but they still—they still, they still
1: got arrested. They still got you know taken in.
0: Okay, uh, if they refuse to leave, why shouldn't they be taken in?
1: I guess I don't. I and, and, don't and know. And again, again, the, the
0: accusation against them is coming from—I mean, obviously Holly, the store manager, saying they refused to leave. Now the police arrested them. That's not the end of it. I mean, there's still a due process there. They could still you know have their day in court and present their case and everything and, and potentially be found not guilty. But if the accusation against them is they're here, they're refusing to make a purchase, they're refusing to leave, I don't know that an arrest is, is unwarranted. I, I don't know that an arrest is unreasonable.
1: I just don't know that it needed to start there if the police couldn't have come in and said, you know, hey, this is, this is a legit thing. You know, the manager's not just being a jerk. You guys are yeah. trespassing. You need to move along.
0: The, uh, an emailer says, Rob, you're missing part of the story. The two men were waiting for a third person to show up. They had every right to sit there and wait. Maybe the third guy was going to buy the coffee for all three. Maybe they were waiting to see if he shows up. Who knows? Completely stupid. Firing the manager was enough. I agree with that. Maybe firing the – and I, I can even agree maybe maybe Starbucks mishandled it. Maybe Starbucks is being too aggressive with their employees. But they actually don't have every right to sit there and wait. You You don't have right to be on somebody's property. A store. If you're in a retail store, if you're in a Walmart or a grocery store or whatever and they decide they want you out of there, they don't want you on their property anymore, they could tell you to leave. You don't have to like their reasoning. And you know what? It's not your property. You don't have to like it. Now, maybe we could be critical and say Starbucks was too quick on the trigger to ask these guys to leave. Maybe. I don't know. Do we know what the other situation? Does the Starbucks have problem with a lot of people just sitting in there and blocking up their shop and not buying anything? I don't know. What's the backstory there? Maybe we're missing that part of the story. Caller, Ken, you're on.
2: This harkens back to that guy that wouldn't get off the plane when the captain told him to. And then somebody came back from security or a federal marshal and said, you need to leave the plane. And he said no. And they sat and argued for a while, and they said, you got to get off the plane. And he said no, and they finally dragged him off. When push comes to shove, this is what happens. You get
0: dragged off. I mean, you're told clearly, leave. That was the guy on the United flight. Is that what you did, the guy on the United flight, Ken? Yeah, the doctor that was crying,
2: and then he he got a bloody nose or whatever, and then he got a million dollars. He got millions of dollars.
0: Yeah. Again, I I do think United handled that poorly as well. I mean, there was a whole thing where he had a ticket to be on that plane. And then they I, I were going to bump they were going to bump him and, bump him, and that was unfair. That, but at
2: some point when a cop with a gun or a marshal says, "You need to come with me."
0: Yeah.
2: You know, then you going I, I to do your case somewhere else, even if it's a good one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, there's a distinction between how you and I might feel about United Airlines or Starbucks yeah. and how they treat their customers maybe we could think that Holly was being a jerk to these two guys maybe we could think she overreacted but I don't I mean to to blow this up into a national thing where now we've got you know tens of thousands of people going to sensitivity training over this is absurd it is absurd and and again i I'm not so sure that this wasn't There wasn't an attempt to to manufacture this situation. I mean, this is a tactic. We saw this during the Dakota Access Pipeline protest right here in North Dakota, where protesters would go out, they would do things on purpose, would purposely break the law, in order to get themselves arrested, so that they could play the victim and they could they could increase the cost of law enforcement.
2: Situation, but an overarching attitude, which is, I'm when a policeman says you got to come with me or leave, no. No, I'm not. That's the overarching attitude that's going to be applied to many, many more situations in the future.
0: Also, also the leap to assume that it was racism, too. Right. Do we, know, do we know this Holly was a racist? What are her motivations? Maybe she was just having a bad day and lost her temper with a couple of guys she thought, fairly or unfairly, were being jerks. Yep. Now, and now, this poor woman, life's probably life ruined. Is ruined. Can you imagine her? She lost her job. Now, can you imagine her trying to get a job somewhere else? I'm sure people know who she are. I'm sure her name's probably out there on the Internet somewhere, her full name. She's probably got people in her front yard right now. And, and and at the end of all this, we're supposed to believe that this is bringing us together. This is bringing us people of different races, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic status. It's bringing everybody together. No, it's not. This is dividing us. This is... Uh... I, I don't I don't know. I, I don't I don't want to speak for the motivations of the two men who are in the store. I don't know what they were up to. Maybe nothing. Maybe nothing. But all the activists who have sworn down, I I don't know. I, I it's hard for me to look at what they're doing. It's hard for me to look at them barging their way into these stores, screaming at Starbucks employees that had nothing to do with this and not see something. But a but a but a, a species of hatred. That's what I see. I see a species of hatred. And I, I, I can even be sympathetic to, to, some of where it's got its roots. Some of it's got its roots in, in genuine systematic racism and oppression. Some of it does. Some of it, I think, is just, is just hatred. It's just hatred that's not really all that different from the sort of hatred somebody has in their heart, uh, for people with, with a certain type of skin pigment. It's unfortunate. Hate, hatred, unfortunately, is is something that's not unusual in the human soul. And, and my problem is, is we seem to be saying, you know, racial hatred, hatred against people on racial lines is bad. And it is. Don't get me wrong. It absolutely is. It's awful. But then this this hatred in, in the form of these activists who show up. Like that's. That's hatred, too, and that's also ugly and not really all that excusable. Jay Thomas, who, of course, uh, you'll stay tuned to for this show after this, just messaged me. He says the one guy was on national on a national TV tour talking about how he feared for his life when the police arrested him. That sounds like a bit of a stretch. More to come straight ahead. Hey, we're going to switch gears. We're going to talk about the state's budget situation. Governor Doug Burgum released guidelines Yesterday, we're going to talk with State Representative Tom Beadle from Fargo about that. Also, Governor Burgum himself joining us at 145. Stay tuned. This is the Rob Report 970 WDYM 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Not way over in a bucket seat. but when
1: we're driving in my mileage.
0: The towns. Welcome now back, Hour we 2, Rob Report, 970 WDYM, 93.1 London FM. Speaking calling, of London calling, i just reading this. The United the Kingdom, bad. they're banning plastic, banning plastic straws. Banning plastic straws. What the hell is going on?
1: Use a sippy cup.
0: Got- Sorry, I'm texting with our Ag Commissioner setting up an interview for tomorrow.
1: <laughs> come on, focus.
0: All right, Doug Goring's on at twelve thirty tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen. Breaking news. <laughs> uh, we actually we had his uh, we had his opponent on, uh, Jim uh, State Senator Jim Dotsonrod, earlier this week. Uh, we'll have Doug Goring, uh, the incumbent Republican Ag Commissioner, he'll be on tomorrow at uh, twelve thirty. Now that we got that out of the way, State Representative Thomas Beadle is on the program with us. Uh, Tom, how's it going? Doing well, Rob. Good afternoon to you. It's calling you. You're, you're Thomas everywhere on social media and everything. Is it okay if I call you Tom? That's all right. Yeah, uh,
3: it doesn't really bug me one way or another. Uh, I
0: got an uncle who goes by Tom, so Tom's Tom. Has always been easier. So Thomas is always easy. What if I called you Tommy? Is that or is that pushing it? I, pushing I have by. one cousin who
3: does that and they, they marry that? it with my middle name being Raymond, so I get uh, a Tommy lot Tommy Raymond He's from the South. Tommy That's Ray I always get it's all, Hey there, Tommy Ray. I get that <laughs> from her every single time she calls.
0: Uh, <laughs> oh, Tommy Ray. I like it. All right. Well Tommy Ray Beetle way yesterday. Our uh, Governor issued his budget guidelines. What did you hear? I mean, what what did, what did you get out of that presentation? Well, it's you know
3: we kind of expected what was going to happen. Um, it was a little more than, than I think some people did because the news has kind of been reporting about how the revenues forecasts are up or exceeding uh, the original forecast from the last budget cycle. Uh, by, thanks to commodity prices, oils back up, uh, crop prices are back up. All that stuff is helping uh, refill some of the kitties a little faster than we had projected. However, uh, in looking at it, we knew during the last legislative session is even though we reduced our overall budget at a historic level uh, in terms of our ongoing expenses, we still had uh, significant cuts that we needed to do in order to get it in line with what our revenue projections are going to be um, to make sure that we have a nice, sustainable model. And so in order to get through this biennium, we had to rate a lot of reserve funds, um, deplete those down in order to help make sure that we didn't cut agencies more than they could – you know, feasibly work with uh, in a short-term period. And so this is going to help continue to correct that course and allow us to get a little more flexibility to still make some strategic investments.
0: 701 293 Email talk at WDAY.com if you want to join the program. Um, it, it, you know, I what i took from what the governor was doing and by the way the governor is going to be on the program here at 145 he was a last minute add to the show but uh what i took with the governor i think yesterday he was managing some expectations right because I, I think the last yes. thing we want to do is create a uh, a uh, create a perception that we're through the woods i think there's still Absolutely. some budget correction that needs to happen i think i think governor bergham purposely took I don't know, if pessimistic is the right term, but I, you know, I I think he's going to err on. I think he's going to err a little bit on the side of of pessimism, uh, so that if we get to the if we get to the legislative session and you know oil's resurgent and, and we're feeling a little bit more comfortable, uh, that could be a happy surprise uh, instead of the other way around. Is that I mean, is that well, fair I, for me I, to perceive it that way?
3: I would agree with that. I think it's we're we're taking a wise, fiscally conservative approach of uh, making sure that we. You know, aim to have our expenditures low enough that we don't have to, to worry about it and scrounge for anything last minute. We're not going to have any sort of a political will or appetite to to really look at, you know, any tax increases or anything like that. That's not what we do. We just need to make sure that we eliminate enough of the inefficiencies that exist and some of the, the wasteful spending and, and programs that aren't truly being effective and, and just get the budget back aligned with where it needs to be. And this is the step in that yeah. right direction. Last legislative session was a step in that right direction. Some of the cuts were painful. Um, some of the cuts will will eventually be be able to start putting some more money into some of those areas. Higher education uh, tuition um, for the students is one of those areas. We're not going to go fully, you know, paying for for their way entirely. They need to have some skin in the game. But you know, there's some areas that we need to make sure that we're cognizant of the burden that we're putting on. And, and I think this is just a, one of those course corrections to make sure that we plan accordingly so that we set a budget that we know we can live within.
0: Now, I, I wrote my column for Sunday earlier today, and a, a point that I made, because well, here's one thing, because you, you mentioned that there's not going to be any appetite for tax increases. I agree with you. Um, I, I think it's interesting, though, that that's where Democrats are, are talking about. I've seen some legislative candidates st- talking that way. I have seen... Uh, for instance, our, the state treasurer candidate Kylie Overson comes to mind. She said this, and they have sort of a two-pronged argument. It seems first, you know, they're claiming that the oil tax reform from the 2015 session is costing us money. And and B, the other part of it is that income tax cuts are, are, are a problem as well. Well, well you know, to, to, to the latter point. I don't know that there's any appetite in North Dakota at all for raising income taxes again. If Democrats are going to no, campaign on that, no. and good I mean, luck. The, and, and, we and, to benefit well,
3: more off of the federal tax cuts because of how we're pegged with uh, the federal tax rate and everything. So after right. the tax uh, bill was passed federally, that will reduce our, our state income taxes again for our constituents. Uh, and we're, as a Republican uh, leadership in yeah. the legislature, we're happy to do that. We think that's a wise use of funds. Uh, and when we think that the money belongs closest to the taxpayer and in their pocket is as close as we can get,
0: right? And, and, and with, and, with
3: regards to the oil tax, had we not done what we did, we'd be in a way worse financial situation as a state now. Um, well, it's been a that, billion dollar plus tax increase, about a billion dollars more. Right, than we
0: would have. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's about a billion dollar tax increase is what that's been. So the idea that that cost us any revenues at all is absurd. You know, the oil and gas yeah, industry's paid it's, a. It's
3: an argument that you can you can make the case on paper and make it look like it, but the practical realities of it don't. Don't outweigh or, or don't re- you know realize out what well, they're talking about.
4: I, uh, one I, of the I,
3: areas I that we didn't predict, though, is when oil started to collapse. It wasn't the the oil tax. I mean that that going down hurt us. The income tax uh, of those oil workers not being here hurt us. But what we hadn't had a really good metric to weigh out was how that was going to impact sales tax collections because yeah. we didn't have a good model for that. And that's one of the areas that I know we've been focusing on with OMB. Uh, in our revenue forecasting from last session through now is to get a better prediction on the sales yeah. tax collections. Cause I, I that remember fluctuated cause I was much more than we thought. Yeah.
0: I was tracking that with every new OMB report that came out and just wondering when are we going to find the floor, on sales tax revenues. Now it, 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 seems like we might have now, but certainly if we go through that again, it's something we've got to be prepared of. Now, what's interesting though, is I think, I think the, the problem is, is if, if we, if Democrats are going to campaign and say, well, we cut taxes too much, Republicans are going to say, well, obviously that wasn't the problem. So then that leaves the other side of the equation, spending. Was spending the problem? Did Republicans overspend during the boom era? We made a lot of investments that we felt were
3: necessary for the state. If you look back at the the big spending projects that we did, it was really primarily focused on infrastructure and rebuilding some of the crumbling roads, upgrading some of the IT, upgrading some of the water systems um, and, and flood protection systems, et cetera, across the state. Those were infrastructure things, expenses that we really did need to do, and a lot of that was driven by ever escalating demand that we were seeing so that caused the budget to rise in a pretty significant way what we weren't tracking as well was there were some increases in ftes that we were you know we're told they were going to be temporary employees that turned full-time and
0: i think you guys had trouble saying no to people there for a while turned
3: into ongoing appropriation and that's what we need to make sure we do a better job of, of keeping track of in the
0: future I think you guys had trouble saying no for a while, and I, I think the reason it's why it's harder to say no when you have the money. That's right, true. I, it is. I mean, the money was there; it was, it was, it was sitting there. And the politically easy thing is just say yes to everybody, right? Well, and I think and, that's what happened and for a while. It's,
3: it's really hard to say no to grandma when grandma has high needs and you have the money to help. And right. so we did expend uh, additional resources into areas like social services, long-term care. Uh, education for, for early childhood throughout K-12. Um, we overextended on property tax, doing some unsustainable buy-downs. Um, there were certainly areas that we put resources into because we could feel the pain that people were going through. Um, and it wasn't the best use of uh, a permanent you know, appropriating expense, but since we had the revenue, we felt that we could make a, a significant impact on people to help them out. Um, it just wasn't a fully sustainable model, especially what we saw with the the property tax buy-down where we were just offsetting what the or, or part of the bill that individuals were facing, without actually uh, forcing the cities and counties and park districts and school boards to cut their mills and their tax and uh, taxable rates accordingly.
0: So what's uh, and again seven zero one two nine three nine thousand if you want to join the program eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine email talk at wday dot com. So, so looking forward to this next legislative session, I mean, obviously the governor's come out and he's he's put in place his guidelines. Now, what his guidelines are is essentially uh, an outline of what he would like to see the various executive branch agencies come back with for their budgets. He's saying, correct. And
3: they'll start a deep are, dive here in May.
0: Right. So so we'll, we'll we'll really start to get into it a little bit later. But looking at it now, what's going to be on the chopping block? I mean, what we're, we're, we're going to where are the battle lines going to be drawn for this next legislative session.
3: It's probably too early to, for me to really guess on that. Um, I know that there's going to be some oh, FTEs is an area that people are going to be looking at um, w- across a variety of agencies. We're going to hold K-12 uh, solid. I know that was one of the areas that they, the governor mentioned last time or, or during his address yesterday, same with Medicare uh, benefits. So we're not going to go after those, those high-need social services and high-need educational services that we provide. Um, those are the areas that we're going to try to protect and really hold firm. But we're going we're gonna to have to start looking at some of the tax incentive programs that we've utilized. We're going to have to look at some of the, uh, the grants that we've provided for different areas uh, for research and some other stuff. Um, and then be better at uh, scheduling some of our infrastructure projects. So instead of the entire state being under construction at once, we might need to do a better job prioritizing. Um, but it's really too early to say where the real battle lines are going to be drawn, I think.
0: 701 293 Email talk at 9329 Email com. Uh, in in terms of uh, you know, so, so some of the do we have a call that just come in here in a teal? Got Karen. Yeah, no, we got the caller line. Karen. I oh, sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't see. I didn't see it pop up. Uh, Karen, you're on. What's up?
1: Yeah. Um, I want to ask Tom if he feels like we expect him to be a fortune teller
2: with a crystal ball.
0: Uh, thanks for the call, Karen. Well, I I think that's how it feels like sometimes. I I think a lot of people don't understand how the legislative budgeting process works. You guys meet starting every odd numbered year, starting in January. uh, You guys meet for no more than 80 days. And during that time, you have to write a budget for two years. And what you're what you are budgeting on is not money the state has, per se, uh, but money the state thinks it's going to have based on Projections. I mean, so that's really what you guys are doing, is making a, a best guess, and budgeting based on it.
3: Correct? Yeah, and it's very different than it, than a lot of ways that. So, like I, I do, I'm a real estate broker as my primary occupation. And so, when you look at say an investment property, you're able to run a pro forma based off of leases that you have signed and revenue that you know is coming in based on contracts you're signing. When we're budgeting out a, a forecast for 24 months. We can't rely on that consistency of, uh, like, a lease document telling us exactly what we're going to be getting for cash flow. We're very much at the whim of commodity prices. We have some more predictable industries. We've got some manufacturing in the state. We've got some technology and and plenty of service sector jobs across the state that provide a little more predictability in terms of what they're going to be at. But we are still a heavily commodity-driven state, and that makes budgeting very difficult. And that's one of the big reasons why, in 2015, we had the oil tax issue being discussed, was because we had so many triggers that were in place in that legislation that was put into the to law. Frankly, but when I was a child,
0: so it's been on. They the were they were forever. landmines. They were landmines. Yeah. I mean, the way it, well, they were they were put in place at a time where North Dakota wasn't producing anywhere near the the level of oil that we're producing today. Uh, and they Correct. were landmines. I mean, if those had triggered, they could have pulled. They could have blown a billion dollar. Well, as we saw, I mean, it's yeah, it's uh, you know, the, the,
3: that's and that's one of the things we were looking for. We were aiming for predictability, so we streamlined yeah. that tax, lowered the top rate in order to get the the votes to get rid of those triggers, and that helped us get predictability in our budget. And that's one so of the things that we're trying to do in in other areas. Is figure out how to do more predictable budgeting. We've got a, a legislative budget review committee that's that's working on the forecasting now. We didn't have that in an interim prior to this. Uh, and then we've got uh, some new tools and resources going into the Office of Management and Budget uh, to help with that as well. So all those things are helping us you know, be able to read the crystal ball a little better and, and we should have a more uh, stable view of it going forward.
0: Tom, last question. Our, our governor, and, and certainly he reiterated this, uh, during his, uh, his his budget guideline address yesterday. But our, our governor campaigned back in 2016 on reinventing government. He's talked for a long time about, you know, breaking out of some of the silos of the state agencies and having cost credit, cost, cost, or cross-cutting initiatives, which I take to mean is having more cooperation, maybe sharing resources between departments, yep. more of that sort of thing. Now, obviously, in the first session, we didn't get a lot of that done. And, and to be fair, it's it's tough for the governor to to implement that. I mean, the budget for that first session was written. Yeah, by they're, they're sworn his predecessor. In
3: 15 days before we start going to work. That's not right. That's not
0: really so, fair. so, so the so this this next session, I think, is the one where we may really see the governor's agenda in that area shine. What sort of things are you seeing that we can implement some of that? Because I'm really interested, and you yourself mentioned we got to make our state government more efficient. That's what Governor Bergham's talking about. How do we implement that? Well, and one of
3: the big areas that we're focusing on now and that I think Governor Burgum brings his own professional background expertise to is some of the technology efficiencies. We're seeing that already playing out with some of the adjustments that are being made in statewide ITD projects. Uh, we're seeing some of that stuff working out and how they're, Increasing communication between agencies like Secretary of State and the Tax Department, et cetera. So, some of those areas are going to pay dividends long term. Additionally, looking at some different methods of delivering education, especially in our rural communities, that's going to help with some of our long term budget savings down in K 12 as we get some of those distance ed efficiencies up and running. Same with in our higher ed, because brick and mortar often gets pretty expensive. And so, seeing some of those adjustments is going to help. Um, and then just, you know, overall consolidation of some of the different areas. We can look at it right now with or uh, a couple months ago he named Michelle Comer, who's a Labor Commissioner, to also be the head of Job Service North Dakota because there's a lot of similar areas that those two departments paid attention to. So bringing those together helps create some efficiencies as well. And so I think we're going to see more of that happen as we move forward to the second half of Governor Burgum's
0: term. Oh, I, I I certainly hope so. And Governor Bergham himself going to be joining us here uh, at 145. Tom, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. No problem, Rob. Have a good afternoon. That's Tom Beetle, State Representative from Fargo. This is the Rob Report 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. Don't go away. welcome to back rob report 970 wd am 93.1 they fm went a little long with uh state representative tom Beadle, but uh looks like uh it's gonna be another another round of belt tightening at this legislative session and and again i mean there's gonna be a lot of political narratives that develop around this my my sunday print column is about this but Essentially, I mean, my argument is they overspent. They had a ton of money and they they spent way too much money, right? I mean, and that's the only alternative because North Dakota Democrats, at least judging by what I've seen from their candidates so far, statewide and local, you know, they're going to argue, "Oh, well, we cut too many taxes. We cut the income taxes too far. We cut the oil tax too far." It's it's hokum It just it it's not accurate. It's not the problem. The income taxes aren't, as a matter of fact. Uh, I, I think actually, uh, individual income tax collections are actually up slightly over last uh, over last biennium. Uh, corporate corporate tax uh, income tax collections are down, but they're beating uh, the forecast by thirty percent. So, and and also those are not those are a very small portion of our pie. I mean, the big one is sales tax. The problem is the bottom fell out of the commodities market. That's what happened. It was a double whammy, not just oil prices, but agriculture prices. Now, Democrats want to tell you, well, we cut taxes too far. That's not the case. The oil tax, by the way, increased revenues by a billion dollars. That's just reality. That's just the truth. Um, So that's, you know, Democrats are going to make that argument. Republicans are going to rebut it. But the problem is, is in rebutting it, what Republicans have to embrace is that there's only one other explanation for the budget problem. It's not a revenue issue. It's a spending issue. And who is in control of spending? Oh, that's right, Republicans. They spent way too much during the oil boom. Now we got to have a correction, and that correction's been taking place over a couple of biennia, uh, and we're not done with it yet. Anyway, more to come straight ahead. This is Robin Report, 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. We'll talk with the governor himself about his budget guidelines. Coming up at 145. Don't go away. For 4970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. 701 Email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, email from Joe. Oh, you know what? Joe, that's a question for the governor. I'm going to hold that. I'll read that when the governor's on here in the next segment. 701 uh, 293 Email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, hey, t- in, t- in a uh, article published yesterday in the New York Times, guess who was quoted?
1: I'm guessing you. The
0: a New certain York- a a certain lowly blogger from North Dakota, yeah.
1: The New York Times reporter, from what I hear, actually spent some time physically in Castleton.
0: It was weird, right?
1: It's very you interesting. know he, I,
0: he actually did a good job. I, I've been critical of sometimes these national media. They, they parachute into a place, and the results are are mixed at best. And and I think a lot of that it, it's just I think it's just fundamentally hard for somebody who's not from here to come here. Because I mean the whole point of them coming here is to get the point of view on the ground.
1: Well especially and in an I area like the Midwest because the Midwest yeah. we don't we're not very open, especially with strangers. We tend we're to We're not be... expressive
0: people in general. Exactly. We're just so not,
1: even not. even reporters that are here and established may have a difficult time providing an accurate look at the, the situation. Especially about something as important to people as the soybeans commodities and the tariffs, and this guy did a did a very good job.
0: Yeah, uh, I I thought so. You know, and I'm, and not just because he had the good sense to uh, to talk to me. I'm I'm quoted uh, briefly, but um, and basically the article is about you know Trump's trade policy, and I I, I think it's very much. There is very much a risk if, if what Trump's doing on trade backfires and there is an economic blowback against farmers. That's going to hurt Trump. That's his base, right? Rural America is why Trump is president of the United States. That is – that is and, and really is is the heart of the Republican base nationally, rural America. So if rural America gets hurt by some trade war, kicked off by Trump – because of some intemperate tweet uh, or because of some boneheaded move he pulled, then, you know, it's going to be bad. Now, that being said, I I don't think you can make that argument without making the opposite, without making the opposite argument, you know, saying that the opposite is true as well. If Democrats fan these flames, and they are, Senator Heidi Heitkamp here in North Dakota, uh, House candidate Max Schneider are, are are fanning the flames of apprehension about tariffs and, and the impact on agriculture. I, I I I would go so far as to say that they're 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 trying to scare people, and if it turns out that Trump does okay, you know maybe maybe nothing happens. Everything just kind of stays the same, or. Maybe even things get better. Maybe we cut some trade deal. Like recently, we just heard that Japan is opening its market to ethanol. Now, I have my problems with ethanol and the politics surrounding it, but like it or not, it's an important commodity that America America produces a lot of, North Dakota produces a lot of. If we got access to the Japanese market, that's a win. China coming to the table talking about rolling back some of the restrictions on automakers who are exporting, uh, U.S. automakers exporting autos into their country. Uh they're talking, I mean, so I I don't know. It's too early to tell. These things are complicated. But if it comes out of this and, and Donald Trump is perceived as getting a win, that's going to blow back in the face of Democrats in a big, big way. Every bit as much as Trump is potentially going to hurt Republicans if things don't go his way. Anyway, Governor Doug Burgum joins us next. This is The Rob Report, 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Please, please, sir, now don't you do it to me. I need to get some rest and be with my lady. Welcome back. Rob Port, 970 WYM 93.1 FM. Governor Doug Burgum joining us now. If you want to get your comments or questions in, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Uh, Governor Burgum, welcome to the program. Thanks for your time. I know you're really squeezing us in today, so I appreciate it.
4: Happy to, Rob. Uh, beautiful North Dakota day today, and uh, great to be on the show with you.
0: Well, finally, I feel like maybe we we finally January, the 111th day of January, finally ended, and uh, we, we've getting some spring weather. Um. So yesterday you had uh, you released the budget guidelines. What I mean, what's what's the headline for North Dakotans? Pain. I mean, the budget's complicated stuff, but um, what what headline would you deliver to North Dakotans listening to this, wondering what's going on with our budget? Well, I'd
4: say two things. One is we're trying to change the process itself, because uh, budgeting is just one small component of a larger strategic uh, planning process, strategic review, and we've got to, we have to look at. There's a lot of things that are changing uh, in healthcare and education, and that's you know, 81% of our state general fund goes into K-12 higher ed and our uh, and the health services, the health and human services that we provide, and so we have to take a hard look at. at at all of that. And part of the way we do that is we don't just look at budgets and silos. we got to look at, at the uh, how the world is changing and how we fit into that. So that's the first thing is a is new look at the process. The second thing is, you know, we did heroic work along with the legislature uh, two years ago when we took the general fund spending from $6 billion down to 4.3 uh, in one legislative session. That was a record. Uh, and now we're, we're now we're in a spot where we're at, you know, a spot where we, we met that $4.3 billion in spending. How did we make that happen? Well, we, we got there because we took $800 million of wisely saved money out of a bunch of savings accounts uh, and put it on top of $3.5 billion in revenue to get to our balanced uh, budget. So as we're going forward, this next session, when we're looking forward to July 1 of 2019, 15 months from now when we start the new biennium, we're not going to have that kind of savings account replenished and so we have to we have to take a uh, appropriate approach and so then that's why we're asking agencies uh, across the state to uh, start the budgeting process by making a reduction in their versus their current uh, their current uh, their services
0: now, Governor, one, one thing – I mean, obviously, we're in election year now, and that's where a, a lot of this news, a lot of this discussion, at least in the prelim- preliminary stages of the budget, is going to take place. One thing I am starting to hear from, from some of the Democratic candidates is that tax cuts were part of this problem, that, that we cut taxes for the oil industry, we cut income taxes too far, and that denied the state the, the, the revenues that it needed um, – in, in, in order to, to to not have to have such, so many budget problems do you agree with that argument
4: uh, i don't and it's pretty simple because i i think uh, you know when we when we ran we said we don't have a revenue problem we got a spending problem and i i still believe that and we've got uh we, we've got lots of you know revenue we have revenue that's flowing in uh and we've got oil industry that's uh that's coming back if, if they hadn't if the legislature had not again wisely gotten rid of that trigger, we would have lost uh, 1.1 billion or more of tax revenue that would have gone away. The trigger wouldn't even have been back on again until this month. We'd have gone 25 months without uh, without that uh, oil and gas tax if that trigger had come into effect. So we're much further ahead with the changes that the uh, legislature made at that time. And and again, right now, I think you know the the, the thing that we have plenty of abundance of. Is, is new approaches and new ideas, and we have to tap into that abundance as opposed to just always focusing on the dollar because sometimes more money doesn't mean better results.
0: Now now this is something you've been talking about going all the way back to your 2016 campaign is making the government more efficient. And we didn't see a lot of moves towards that in, in the first legislative session, although to be fair, I mean, that, that happened not long after you took office, so I'm, I'm your, your predecessor wrote the budget for that. That session, so I mean, it's pretty hard to implement. But but obviously, I, I think a lot of people are expecting this legislative session to kind of be the one that you plant your flag. You really put your stamp on maybe some of the approaches, like you're talking about changing the budgeting process. I, I know you you talk about like cross-cutting initiatives, and, and I'm assuming what you're meaning by that is maybe finding ways we could share resources and and not treat each department like it's its own little universe and can't possibly have anything to do with any of the other universes in state government. How, how do we accomplish? I mean, do you have some specifics on how we accomplish that?
4: Well, part of it is this strategic review process we're starting where when, uh, you know, we're going to be asking people, this is a step towards zero-based budgeting. So when people come in, we're going to be asking questions like, you know, what can you stop doing? Uh, do we, does, does this, can this be done better in the private sector? And so we have to look for ways uh, to, if you will, harvest dollars uh, through, uh, you know, through net savings, and then we take those dollars and how do we re- how do we reinvest them in things that are truly uh, transformative? I mean, an example is that we've already started is on the whole information technology side of things. We did an analysis of where we're spending our money today, and 91 percent of the money that we spend on IT at North Dakota goes towards running 800 legacy systems, 800 disparate different legacy software systems, and, and, you know, we have to take a look at every one of those and go, do we still need to be doing that? 9% of our IT spending goes towards growing things a little bit. we got zero in the transform bucket, uh, and the transformative piece is where we could start, uh, you know, lowering costs for taxpayers and delivering better services. We have 165 websites in the state of North Dakota. None of them interconnect with each other. You can't buy a park pass and a, and a uh, fishing license on the same yeah. website. Uh, and you have to re enter your information when you come back to each of those different sites.
0: Seven oh one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine email talk at WDY I got an email from a listener, Joe. It says Rob, please ask the governor how about how much money gets cut from state agencies, last round of cuts in NDSU, all administration and all professors continue to get raises, off of generous raises, while the staff of technical staff had their salaries frozen for two years and a hiring freeze. Professors, for example, making $90,000 a year for teaching only one class of 15 people a semester get raises. Talk about inefficiency. Now, I, I, obviously, he's talking about one area of, of state government. Um you know, how I mean, because what you issued yesterday were guidelines saying, hey, state agencies come back to us, uh, and these are the goals I want you to hit in terms of your budget. But drilling down that far on the line items, Governor, I, I think you're really in favor of those being made within the agency. Is that correct?
4: Well, yeah, and, in, and specifically in the case of higher ed, we, the guideline we offered was a 10% reduction in the uh, formula for uh, credit hour reimbursement and for. Uh, our, you know, major universities, they get between, you know, 26 and 29 percent of their revenue comes from this formula. That's the state aid portion of it. The other over 70 percent of the revenue comes from tuition from students, and it comes from grant research grants and other sources, alumni donations. So when we talk about a 10 percent cut in the formula for higher ed, we're really talking, in the case of the two major universities, kind of a two and a half to three percent uh, proposed cut and then and then the universities they can decide as this gentleman right again they can decide where they want to make the cuts and i think that's uh, again that can be debated at that level and debated with the board of higher education on whether those are the right cuts or the wrong cuts but we want to empower empower those you know schools to to become as competitive as they can in a world that's really changing because the the biggest threat to higher education is not uh, a small reduction in state aid the biggest threat to higher education is we're not responding fast enough to all the uh, external changes that are yeah. happening in, in education.
0: Well, I think that plays back to something else that, that you've been talking about. And again, when you talk about cross-cutting initiatives, when you talk about breaking some of these agencies out of their silos, I I, I feel like it's sort of a two-pronged approach. One, you kind of want the, the legislature and the state government to be providing for these different agencies and their missions some common resources, whether it's ITD, the example that you brought up, or other things where instead of like like having an ITD department for every agency, we have some of these shared resources where you can come, it's all in one common pool, we can deploy economies of scale, we don't have redundancies, and it's more efficient. You have that side of it, but then on the other hand, it sounds to me like you very much want these decisions to be made within these agencies right i mean just you don't want to drill down and micromanage this is how many pencils you're going to buy from this vendor or whatever you want to say this is the money you have to work with make it work is that fair i mean correct me if i'm wrong that to me sounds like what you're saying
4: well yeah and, and the key to that then is making sure that we've we've got the right kind of performance measures in for leadership and the right kind of governance uh that we have in place so that when we're you know we empower People on the front lines—they often know the best way to spend the money, and the way to save a dollar, and the way to transform something. So we want to make sure we've got empowered, you know, people. Whether it's you know in the classroom or in the you know driving the snowplow, we want those people engaged in how to deliver better government. Uh, we got to have leaders that understand that empowerment, and we got to have governance systems that make sure that that uh, you know we're, we're you know tracking how we're spending. But yeah, you're, you 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 you've said it well, Rob, and that's what we're uh, that's what we're intending to try to do.
0: Now, on the flip side of that, obviously, we have uh, another branch of government, the legislature. They write the budgets. Um, obviously, you sign them into law. It's a collaborative process between the two branches. But, I, I mean, the legislature does, when they put line items in here, they have legislative intent. And they like to see that that legislative intent is followed. Is that one of the struggles? And, and again, I mean, we're saying this in the context, and I don't want to go down you know, often to that, but we, we do have the lawsuit over the vetoes going on, which I think is maybe exemplary of – of a little bit of a disagreement over how this stuff is handled. but i mean, how how do you get that vision? How do you sell that to lawmakers who are are more used to maybe maybe writing very specific budgets for these agencies?
4: Well, I, I think the you know coming in last time we had a you know, we had a two week ramp, plus we had Dapple going on. You know this time we've had uh, you know a year to prepare. And you know we're in the process, and we will through these strategic reviews we're doing with the agencies to also be reaching out with legislators. We've had a bunch of productive discussions even the last two weeks with legislators, uh, you know, trying to seek alignment, get their ideas. There's a lot of hard work going on from the interim legislative committees, get their input into it. Uh, met with the legislative leadership this last week. We had a phone call to try to uh, make set priorities and make sure that they were online with where we were headed with the, uh, with the these with the budget guidelines we announced. So, yeah, I see it as it, yeah. It's it, there is a there's you know a push and a pull and a give and take. That's part of the three branches. But I think with the uh we're, you know we're seeking to have a collaborative effort to try to look for the best solutions. And it's not about ideology and it's not about who gets to make. We'll give the credit to whoever wants it, who's got the best idea. We want to come up with the best solutions for people in North Dakota,
0: Governor. I, I think in your your guidelines, I I think you were managing expectations a little bit. I think your your era. I don't want to say that it's pessimism. But I, I think, if, if for lack of a better word, I felt like you were airing a little bit on on the side of pessimism. There are some reasons to be optimistic, though. I mean, I feel like like energy prices are coming back. Uh, crop price. This may be the only part of the world where we're happy about higher oil prices, but we are. Uh, oil prices. There are some reasons to be optimistic. I feel like we did a lot of heavy lifting in that last legislative session. Um, there's there's more to be done, to be sure. But you know, I, I don't I don't want to make it. I don't I don't think it's accurate to say that it's all just doom and gloom with our budget right now. No, there's, as I said yesterday,
4: you know, there's lots of reasons to be uh, cautiously optimistic. Uh, You know, we're in our current cycle. I mean, you know, June 30th will be halfway through our current budget. But, you know, so we're into this thing, uh, you know, coming up on 10 months and we're we're on our, our revenue is on forecast for the current cycle. So we don't have to hopefully we won't have to deal with any shortfalls in the current the current spending as we're looking and budgeting for the next one. Uh, and, and so that's, you know, that's different. That's a good thing. Uh, and, and, and as I say, as the oil prices strengthen up, we do, have, we do have a lot of dependence on state revenue coming from the oil industry. And, but a lot of that flows, doesn't flow into the general fund. It flows into the legacy fund, which is great, flows into a bunch of other savings accounts. And that's all good. It'll help us replenish because those, like I said, those uh, savings accounts were all seriously depleted and yeah. so you know it went every day that we can have uh, these kind of oil prices it helps create a cushion for the the future even though we're working on we're working on solutions to stay within our spending means for the for the next budget that that's great for the future that we've got a stronger economy going and the investments kudos to the industry yeah. because part of the reason why it's back is it's not just because of price. It's because the industry yeah, figured out sure. how to make money I, at
0: 50 bucks. For, for, for sure. Well, I, I got to go. We're out of time. Governor Burgum, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Joe, sorry we didn't get to your call. That's it for the Rob Report. Back on tomorrow. Jay Thomas Show. straight ahead. Don't go away.